Lend Us Your Ears, a podcast by Bard and the Botanics. Episode 6. The Purpose of Playing. What's it like out there? Hi, I'm Gordon Barr. I'm the Artistic Director of Bard and the Botanics. And I'm Jennifer Dick and I am the Associate Director. And uh, this week we come to the final episode of our page to stage series uh, of this podcast uh, where we're going to be looking at what it's like to perform at Bowden Botanics and joining us for that conversation we've got uh, two more of our associate artist actors with us today we've got Stephanie McGregor uh, and Alan Steele joining us uh, so Stephanie uh, you will have seen on Bowden Botanics stages recently playing roles such as Rosalind in As You Like It, Ophelia in Hamlet, uh, Mephistopheles in Faustus, Feste in Twelfth Night and uh, Juliet not once but thrice thrice time she has played Juliet for us um, and Alan uh, has been on stage with us last year playing a multitudinous amount <laughs> of roles uh, everything from Sir Oliver Marr text the vicar to Hamlet's ghostly father um, and has previously played roles including Gloucester and King Lear, Antonio in The Merchant of Venice, Menenius and Coriolanus uh, and of course a very well loved as our resident Panto Dame most recently as, as the Hamlet of Panto Dame's Mother Goose <laughs> last Christmas. Um, so Alan and Steph, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. So, Alan and Steph, we're going to have a chat about what the experience of performing at Barden Botanics is like. So, the, the, the kind of the first question we want to ask you is, what is it like as actors to perform outdoors at Barden Botanics? Take it away, Alan or Steph. <laughs> you go first, Alan. Oh, thank you, darling. Thank you. I find it really liberating, actually. I think that's the word that pops into my head, you know. I mean, we've all worked in theatre for a number of years now, you know, and there's, there's something wonderful about that enclosed cocoon thing and you're safe and that's your world and the audience is out there. But I just I just love that feeling of, like, everything's just open and you've got the sky and, you know, and I, lo- I love just seeing the people out there and the faces looking at you and, and sunlight and daylight yeah. as it goes into the darkness. It, it just seems to... It's, it's difficult to say without sounding as if, oh, my, my the people are there and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't quite mean like that. I just mean it's like I just feel a bit like let loose when I'm when I'm outdoors. Once once I'd learned what the discipline of performing outdoors was. Oh yeah. And where you could go volume wise and you know, and I mean Gordon, you were very good with me about like when I first started performing outdoors with not getting too intimate with the other actors, you know, for too long a period so that it's going out, you know. Yes. It has to go out. And I love that, you know. Yes, if you if you keep it between you and and the other actor in the scene, then the audience starts to feel excluded. And like we were talking last week with with Nick and Rob about the fact. Well, over the weeks we've been talking about the fact that if you don't keep their attention on you and on mm-hmm. the stage, there's a million and one other things for them to be distracted about. Well, I think you're gubbed if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you lose them. Do. Awesome. And I think it's I think it's impossible if you're doing outdoor to not invite them in. Mm-hmm. Is I find it quite instinctual, like, like because they're there. Mm-hmm. You can't pretend they're not there. Yeah. And Shakespeare lends itself to being like, hiya. 
you know what I mean? Like you, you can't not. But I remember when I first when I first started, I was terrified of the audience. <laughs> I was. It just was because you're so you're so used to looking out into an audience and it being black, mm-hmm. and you only see the first two rows, and you don't really see their people's expressions or anything. So when I was first doing it, I was like, oh my god, somebody's somebody looks bored. Somebody's bored. But oh, wait, no, actually they're enjoying it. What are they doing? And then I had to get used to just being like, excuse my French, fuck it. <laughs> do you know what I mean like uh, uh, yeah. you have to you just have to kind of go for it not care and even like the voice thing projecting um, there's a certain type of uh, for me a certain type of quality and pitch that I need because I'm a woman I think it is harder for our voices I don't know if you feel that Jane but uh, our voices to travel I think it's easily to easily gets lost so i i have to i personally know that i need to work at a certain pitch and a certain tone for it to travel and if i drop that pitch or tone i know that they can't hear me mm-hmm. i could be working my arse off and if i know that i've dropped that pitch or tone still working my arse off then they're not going to hear it yeah. yeah you're right i mean i find even when i'm rehearsing outdoors as a director i'm often talking to people over a large area and I need to drop the register of my voice to get it pushing out. And that's a male with a reasonably low voice. So flip that round to to the female voice. And yeah, there is a kind of, as you say, a tone and a pitch that you need to sustain. Without it being unenjoyable to the ear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You mean you can't go on and talk like that? (laughs) (laughs) Thrilling and low. Hello. Um, And it's also not yelling. It's not like... It's not. We, we, I love you. We're, we're, we joke, <laughs> jokingly call it yelling in the park, but it's not. It's not yelling. It is that I kind of click into my outdoor voice. Yeah, I'm already I, I can feel it happening. Mm-hmm. But what I always think is that you've. I know what that outdoor exactly that pitch and tone is, mm-hmm. and what I'm looking for is a way to put the detail that I want to put in that pitch and tone. Yeah, and for me, working outdoors with Bard, that just came with doing the job for me. Yeah, just yeah. learn. on the job I don't know what you thought oh no absolutely that's absolutely what I felt you know um I mean, I can be quite a loud person. No, you know? never. <laughs> and and funnily, you know, the the discipline of well, we all know this. We we all worked in Christmas yeah. shows, you mm-hmm. know, um, for a long period of time now. Um, and it's it's that thing, isn't it, about that that unafraid quality that you can have in a pantomime. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm not comparing Shakespeare to pantomime, although sometimes there are parallels. There are very oh, yeah. much parallels, and we are definitely going to come back to that in a later episode. Absolutely. But it's, it, I suppose what I'm saying is, it's as the dame, you know, or whether you're playing, you know, the dafty, the dafty or, or anything. I usually play the dafty, guys, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you think you know, that cast, we, we have to have. We have to have that relationship with the audience. Yeah. And we have to have that anarchic quality. Yeah. You know, to use a high floating words, you know, Johnny Rotten of theatre world. But you know, <laughs> you have to have that quality yeah. where you are, you are unafraid, yeah. and you go out there, and you'll sit in folks' knee, yeah. and you'll take their food, yeah. you know, and you'll slag them off. And funnily, there are there are parallels very very much within you know some of the the, the comedy roles, one or two of the comedy roles I've done. Who yes, was, who was sure. the guy in Love Sleepers? Oh, Holofernes. <laughs> Holofernes. <laughs> they they. The tutor, uh, Holofernes is a tutor and he's a very learned, very pretentious yeah. tutor. Yeah. Um, and no one is one of the kind of 
one of these roles that people think they read on the page and go, how on earth you perform that and make that funny? And you did. You did. You made it hilarious. And how do you remember that text that he has? Because I remember so that being dense. quite, yeah. Very, very dense. Yeah, very, very dense. I, I had a lot of trouble with one, with one speech, actually. I think it was the opening of Act 2. <laughs> but, you know, and no, there's no there's no bad feeling. It's just one of the actors kept making exclamations while I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would be going on to the next get through it. And I'd be like, mm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And I'd be like, can he do that, mate? Because I'm clinging onto this bit of skin of my teeth. Because it doesn't make any sense. No. It was, it was just a list of words. It and was. there was no connection from one to the other to the other. It was just that thing. It was like, there was no reason fault in any kind of way. It's just that way people have different disciplines and yeah. different ways of looking at things. And I just had to stay very focused with it because it was full of non sequiturs and Latin words. Yeah. You know? But the, but that, 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 that gave a lovely moment for me when uh, very much like a kind of panel <laughs> Because I love it. You see the audience. They're part of the play. Yeah. The grass and the trees and everything is is the scenery. I I love that, and um, it's a different thing when you're in the in the um the glass house. But we'll come to that. But I remember I was doing some big that big speech actually, the particular thing which I can't remember a word of. And um, there was a woman sitting with the play, following along with the play in the front row. And and I'm like, and I'm like, good luck with that, darling, because we edit it. But you know. And then at one point I kind of had one of my little moments. I think I kidded on. I had a little moment and I was like, excuse me. And I just took the book book off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's what I'm saying. There you go. Thank you very much. (laughs) Great reaction. Yeah. Cheap, but great reaction. (laughs) Sometimes the cheap gags are the best ones. If you can't do it when you're playing those kind of roles. When can you? Or Oliver Martex. Then when can you, you know. And the audience want to be involved. Yeah. You can yeah. see them, like, see when you involve them, their whole entire faces light up and then you can see all the heads trying to move to see what's going on. Like, they, they, they want to be involved. Yeah, it was funny. We were sharing some photos of old productions on social media re- recently and one of them was a photo of Much Dear About Nothing from 2013. And a guy commented on it going, oh, I still remember Bertram, which was our, our male Beatrice in that production, picking on me for being the guy with no beard. And it's like those moments were the performance connects with the audience yeah. it stays with them yeah yeah, yeah they, they feel special they feel included I think that for me you know and I don't have a vast experience of Shakespeare not at all although I've been in the business for, for 20 years darling <laughs> but um, <laughs> But it's that wonderful that thing, isn't it, that takes it away from being something that people think of as um, elitist or mm-hmm. or I'm not intelligent enough to understand the language or this. I mean, I remember my sister coming from uh, Lancashire to see Merchant of Venice. And at the end of it, she was like, it was brilliant. I'd done it at school and I, had, I couldn't remember what happened. I thought he was going to stab you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... Yes! That's, <laughs> that's who you are. You want yeah. someone caught up in the story. I, and... I'm not talking about dumbing down or anything like that. I'm talking about just that thing. It's like, this is really good stuff. And it's the stuff of life. And it's it's just the stupid, mean, spiteful, lovely, beautiful, wonderful, awful things that people do. And and it's it's done in beautiful poetry. Don't let that put you off. No. They're still great yeah. stories. He writes human nature. Yeah. Well, he's the master of yeah. it for me. For yeah. me, yes. Did we answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> so. What was the question again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a good answer. <laughs>
I think that's an excellent answer. <laughs> so <laughs> so like... something that you mentioned there, Alan, we'll, we'll cover in a bit more detail now. You said that it's different when you're performing in the Kibble Palace. Mm. So how is it different? What is it like to perform inside that glass house? I always think it's like you're retraining yourself again to mm. have, be allowed to let you have those intimate moments. Like going from instinctively going... Huzzah! Big and huge so that it can translate out to the back yeah. and bringing it small again. It's like you're doing... It is two separate worlds. It's like going from an auditorium back to a studio. Yeah. I think. It is literally yeah. that. So, like, actually, it's a different type of acting and a different type of responding. Mm-hmm. It's a different craft, if that's yeah, the right word. Absolutely. It changes. Yeah. Which is great because then you're like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I can make things small, you know, and, and yeah. it translates, like, because you forget, I forget, when you're on such, in an open door, I forget that I can do the other stuff, I can do small, I can do intimate, because I'm so used to being big, and loud, and obviously intimate, but still with that heightened sense outside, I forget that I can actually do the other stuff, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. You said it very well. Thanks. Yeah, but it's interesting with the kettle, is it, that, yes, you can bring it much more into, because, I mean, the audience are literally a half a metre away from you you they're right next to you but they're also the full length of the glass house away from you so you can't it's not like you suddenly become televisual it's not like you become television there's still got to be a real energy behind it and you know what the most exciting part in the kibble is is the 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 space between people that's probably (laughs) the wankiest thing i've ever said in my life but all of it um the space seeing the kibble like when there's i always find that like when we were doing faustus the space between like me and ryan or the space between me and adam i literally was living for that kind of gap because you're like oh my god i feel stuff so much it's great we set up and this kind of almost corridor yeah. in the glass house yeah. and so there, there's a lot of times where you are blocked to be almost at either end yeah. of that space. I find that electric. Me too. Yeah. I really do. I remember watching um, I think it was Kirsty and Adam last year and um, and Richard Third, and it's the moment where his character thinks that he's got her and he's got the twin and, and he's going to get her to do what he wants and you know the, the, the whole thing about Richard the third manipulating and, and she's just a stupid woman and she just she's like, she turns her phone on him she's like I've been recording all of this yes. and I remember my pal Stephen was sitting next to me and, went, and Stephen went yes <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to bully her you know what I mean yeah and and the actors were fab beautifully played and it's that thing that Steph's saying because I really relate to that and I remember watching Faustus and I remember where you were and where Adam was and, and Ryan, you, you know, and, and and the space between you was electric because of the dynamics that were going on. I'm using a lot of highfalutin words here. But, but it's that true, sense? it's I'm true. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's funny, it's interesting actually um, with the Kibble Palace and you think about like different spaces that you've played because, um, you know, you do you do theatres, you do big theatres, there's that space between you and the audience and the audience are all out there. But but I've also played in places like Mull, Mull Little Theatre when it was the Little Theatre. Mm. What, about 30, 40 of an audience? That's exactly <laughs> it. And I remember the first time I went there, I went, oh, oh my Lord. And, and and Robert Patterson, who was directing us, he's sadly gone now, a dear friend of mine, wonderful actor and director, but but he was directing us and, and basically just showing us, he's like, bring your voice as low as you can. Just whisper it, just say it, just say it. He said, I can hear it perfectly. You know what I mean? Oh my God, you can feel that. The, I felt the room change there when you did that. <laughs> so it's like televisual. Or, or the, the, if you do like the set studio, mm-hmm. you know, if you do a yeah. 
piece in there. That's another thing where you can you can be pretty small, or you can you know see you know. But you're absolutely right. The kibble is interesting because of that. Um, would you call it a traverse? It is. Yeah, it's a yeah, traverse. It's a traverse. Yeah. yeah, and it was something that you were saying, Steph, about you can have that little intimacy with someone, with with, with or even be talking to a member of the audience. But if it's at that end, the person at the other end's got to hear it. You yeah. know what I mean? So you, it's not quite the same, but it's mm-hmm. it's heading towards that. Yeah, and it's, it's got an interesting acoustic, oh, the Kibble Palace. It, it does. I mean, it's mostly good, mm-hmm. but there's there's at least one spot where if you're acting there, you just hear your own voice echoing back oh, at you. And it, interestingly, it, it doesn't you. echo to the audience, Boomy. but it echoes yeah. to you. It yes, booms around you. There's, it's about two thirds of the way up the, the glass corridor, you just suddenly hear it booming and echoing around you. But you can use that, I think. I, I, I've only acted in the cable once and it was last summer. And to discover that I'm going to use, I'm going to be in that boomy spot for a particular moment mm-hmm. and use that boom. Is that nearer the pond? Uh, nearer Eve. Nearer Eve. Sorry, for the Eve. podcast listeners, there is a <laughs> statue, a beautiful statue at one end of that kibble corridor that is called Eve. And so we just refer to them as Pond End, where the fish pond is, and Eve End, where the statue is. And the boomy spot is nearer to Eve. It's about. kind of just as the glass house starts to move out of the corridor into the big dome in the centre. And it's just that your voice is going up and echoing back down off the glass. It doesn't sound like terribly like that to an audience, but an actor just... Mm-hmm. It's like it rattles off your head. You're like, yeah. ooh! No, it's weird. <laughs> it, it is weird when that, when, when that happens. I mean, the Pilocchi stage has a spot like that. It's sort of like stage right, mid-stage right. And for some reason, you disappear there. There's a, it's a particular wow. point and, you, and, and the sound, it must just be a point where it goes up or disappears and it's a really bad spot. It's weird. It's the yeah. weirdest thing. It's that thing again. There's always a part of you that has to be keeping an eye on the technique because yeah. you'll oh, yes. you'll drift through a spot like that, or you'll end up in the oh, equity spot, and suddenly whatever your performance is, you're jolted out of it because. I think I get more nervous doing a kibble show than an outdoor show. Why do you think that is? I think it's because you can hear a pin drop and the audience are literally within licking distance. Mm-hmm. Like, you can yeah. go up to them <laughs> and lick, lick them. their face. <laughs> 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 <I'm> like, <laughs> Already done it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it depends on the audience member. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not rule it out. I mean, yeah. I mean well, at, the, at, the at the moment, we would absolutely <laughs> rule it out. But post-COVID, post-COVID yeah. I might try it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make a bold choice. Yeah. Um, but I get more nervous. I remember, again, Faustus, right before Faustus, my legs would shake. Mm. And I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's the atmosphere it creates, because it creates something. Mm-hmm. And the audience creates something with you when you're in there. Mm-hmm. And also, because they're right there, if you mess up, they're going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so concentrated isn't it I mean that's not to say that the outdoor shows aren't concentrated they're just doing <clears> it in a very different way and as I, as I said as I expostulated earlier you have the sky and the trees and yes. you know and, and the police helicopters and helicopters and by <laughs> road pigeons. and ambulances Copulating pigeons and you know so so you know this you're, you're, you're exposed but you know you're not you're not right in their face you know and and you are the kibble you know you really really are which is joyous as well I mean I love it I love it but I, I remember <laughs> when we took Romeo and Juliet into the kibble yeah because this was this was the I think we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago with really? the, where it was meant to be under a canopy 
outdoors, but the space just kept flooding. We couldn't get the show open, so we ended up re-blocking it for the Kibble Palace in one day. Is that yeah. the first time you and Steph had done yeah, that? Yeah, 2012. And um, <laughs> we took it into the, the Kibble, and it was a bit where Juliet, Romeo, comes in and sees her lying there. In the tomb. <clears throat> in the tomb. And uh, bless, um, an actor, James Rocker, was like doing the, the crying over me. And there was like this one drop <laughs> of rain, and I can't move. Just with like, plop, right in the middle of my forehead. And I'm like, oh God. And it was just going, plop, <laughs> plop. And I'm like, come on, come on. And then trying not to giggle. But also I'm like, the audience are going to see this like giant blob of rain just plop, r- right in between my eyes. I mean, I think we've done pretty good to get to this point in the conversation without having mentioned weather <laughs> at all. I know. Uh, which is unlike this podcast. But uh, we'll talk about the weather in relation to the Kibble Palace mm-hmm. actually and performing in there because oh, I, I know you, Alan, especially have been in there when it's thundering it down outside, when it's pouring down outside. Yeah. And it's such a weird experience because you start to hear the rain onto the glass yeah. of the glass house. Part of your part of my brain, I know if I'm in the audience at that point, and I think it's the same for the actors, you start to go, oh, the poor outdoor show, are they carrying mm. on? And then you maybe see the audience from the outdoor show trooping past the outside of the glass house because the show's been cancelled outdoors and you're going to must stay in, must stay in. Yeah. But then the noise when it gets heavy rain in there. Oh, it's crazy. Like rattling on a tin roof almost. That's what it's... Yeah. 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 It is great when it's at a good point. See, oh, when yeah. it's like a, a big old kind of a epic big moment. <clears throat> moment. Like, let the skies! <laughs> great <thing. laughs> You are yelling, I remember. When we did Coriolanus in there a few years ago, Alan, and it happened, there was a there was a beautiful scene near the end where Coriolanus has joined the Volskian army, the enemies, marching. She is marching on Rome in our version. And uh, her best friend, Cominius, has gone to try and persuade her and has come back having failed and he's broken and you as Menenius are telling the senators yes. you know, you're terrified and poor Jake who was playing Cominius was just acting his wee heart out not a word could be heard oh, no. and afterwards I give him the note I was like you know you just I know it's an intense scene but you're going to have to be louder he's like I was yelling <laughs> and it's just it's crazy when that rain goes and when it gets extra lovely toasty Whoa. <laughs> so it is it is a greenhouse. We'll just remind the listeners. It's a it's a greenhouse. So mm. when it's hot outside, it's basically an oven <laughs> in the kibble. It was like I think a couple of weeks ago, Susie was talking about when we did Henry the Fourth in there, and it was during a heat wave, and we had Kirk Beige playing Paul Staff and Henry the Fourth, and the fat suit and layers of period <laughs> costume oh. and ice pack shoved down. Oh, yes. And then we had another one a couple of years ago doing Anthony and Cleopatra uh, with Nicole Cooper as Cleopatra and Andy Clark as, as Anthony. And it was a beautiful heat wave. And it, you know, it was great. It felt like Egypt. It felt like we were in Egypt. We were in this gorgeous tropical glass house with his feet, but poor Nikki was just like, she just felt so bad for Andy because she was just slicked with sweat. The, uh, it's, that's that's it, when I knew how hot it was. Because normally what happens when you're watching a show in the kibble is that it's hot to begin with. And then when the sun goes down, it cools down pretty quickly yes. and it's yeah. perfectly comfortable. But the night that I saw Anthony Cleopatra, I just remember using the front of my t-shirt to constantly mop my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I was still doing it at like 20 past 10 when the show came down because it was still at that fever pitch of heat. It just, 
it just never cooled down. But obviously through the heat and the rain and the sound. Come see the shows. They're oh, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The sky, the trees. Yeah. <laughs> making it sound a particular level of endurance. But it's not. It's, it's really not. not. And it is. And the shows make you forget. Like the, the acting and the direct. It just all makes you forget. Oh, you just get sucked right into the story. Purely because of the in- in- intimacy of that space. You really feel, don't you? I mean, I think, I think this has been said in a previous podcast by, by Rob or maybe. But, but you feel that the audience want to stay. You feel that. Yeah. You feel that they want to persevere with you and you feel that they're willing you to go on, you know. And I think it's because, and I'm saying this as somebody that's been an audience member, I think because the shows are bloody good. Yeah. They're really good. <laughs> no, they're really, thank you. They're really, not because of you. <laughs> <laughs> in spite of me. In spite of me. The the no, not at all. What, what, you guys, what you guys do is fantastic. And I'm saying that as somebody who's often been an audience member. But you, even with the audience around you, you feel you feel it's like oh it's a bit of rain. I hope it carries on for a bit. I hope it's you know you, you do feel that. Yeah, you do. It's great. The other thing you get in the Kittle Palace, of course, is the darkening as the night goes oh, on. It's gorgeous. Uh, do you notice that as a performer? Oh, yeah. Do you notice that you start in hopefully glorious sunlight, but certainly daylight? Do you notice that darkness creeping in as the performance goes on? Yeah. I notice it in um, Coriolanus. You know, um, nobody could ever say that throughout the play, Coriolanus is particularly joyous, but there's a vibrancy and there's a, yeah, there's, there's so much energy at the beginning, war and, and arguments and politics and you know, and everyone's on top of their game and being witty or or being that you know you know what yeah. I mean. And then uh, the, the the thing that I enjoyed, and you'll you'll have had this in spades, Steph, in different plays, mm-hmm. is that thing about like as the play darkens, as things get darker and more confused, and things start going wrong, and then and then it's not sunny anymore. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. It's, that, that, that's the that's the real. I know I know you're not out in the elements when you're in the glass house, but you, you kind of are. You know, you've got all the, yeah. the natural light and the and it's allowing that to do the job for you. It's <laughs> nice. And it does help because we mainly do tragedies in the, yes. the kibble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, that's partly because well, it's mostly because the kibble palace has smaller casts. Yeah, like. You did Faustus yeah. where there were only three of you in it. And that, when it was getting darker, it was great because at the end I get to drag Faustus to hell. And uh, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Come to me. We could make people believe that hell was just round the corner of the palace. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were quite the dominatrix in that. It was wonderful. Oh, it was. It was and absolutely is gleeful. I um, bloody loved it. Yeah. But so, uh, this is something he did so well in that Faustus gem was, although Mephistopheles was a fallen angel, mm-hmm. you know, so a, a non-human being, she was so human. She was, um, kind of became more human the, the more she was with Faustus. Yeah, because I think for me, she got, well, she's seen him as a as a human mm-hmm. man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you connect with that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more interesting. You don't want to go on and be like, I am a fallen angel, I am a demon, therefore I am bad. You don't really want yeah, to do it's that. It's not no. nearly as interesting. No, it's not interesting. Yeah. So for me, playing that, yeah, and also I just was in the middle of watching American Horror Story and <laughs> I was obsessed with Jessica Lang. So I was channeling my Jessica Lang. <laughs> No bad why thing. Would you? <laughs> exactly, no bad that. thing. Because I had to wear a corset, so I'd be like, mm, yeah. <laughs> but there's that thing, you know, because Jessica Lange is one of my favourite actresses. I loved her. I adore her. I saw her on stage, actually, Long Day's Journey <gasps> tonight. Ridiculously good. Uh, with Paul Rudd. But, oh my goodness. Yes, name, I know. name dropping all over the place here. Well, I didn't meet them, I just saw them. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have met Michaela, no. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you told well, me to go to your mask to drama school. No, um, <laughs> but but Jessica Lang has that wonderful sympathetic quality. And the thing I remember about Mephistopheles was that I felt sorry for her. I actually felt sorry for her. At one point, I was like, this is, this is tearing her apart. She's loving it and she's gleeful, but this is destroying her. This is from my memory of it, you understand. That is what we were aiming for. Yeah, it so. was. Yeah. And, and it's exactly what you can get in the Kibble Palace. You can get those tiny moments on the face and, you know, those those real little moments that give you such depth. That televisual thing, it's not about mm-hmm. being small, but it's about detail that yeah. because you're so close to the action Absolutely. you can follow every little step of a character's journey yeah you know you mentioned american horror story yeah. there so i'm going to mention i was watching them um, ryan murphy's hollywood was talking about yeah it. Uh, i really enjoyed it i mean it might not be everyone's thing but i liked it um, i liked its take on things but the thing that i liked about it one of the things that, and i was thinking about in the context of, of, of our chat today the thing that i liked about it is that even the, the most seemingly repellent characters you felt for them at some point you really really did you know they, they all had a story and they all had a reason why they were who they were and that came through very clear, very clearly and I enjoyed that you know somebody wasn't just a corrupt agent yes there he's was a reason a, why they were he's had a tragedy yeah Th- that doesn't mean you have a tragedy to become evil you know no. but but yeah. i think it gives it colors and dimensions and and it's like you were saying steph somebody isn't just a demon mm. I, I i played satan once in a production of um confessions of a justified sinner bill martin the devil did it in radio as well and it is exactly that thing about right who is he first yeah okay he's evil we get that People are good, people are evil. Sometimes they're a mix of all those things. But where is that coming from? And that's what makes it interesting to play and I think for people to watch, you know? Yeah. My favourite moment was uh, we kind of made that Faustus had lost his wife. Yes. And then yeah. there was a part near the end where Mephistopheles where got... Kind of embodied, was embodied by the spirit of Faustus's dead wife. Yeah. Because yeah, he'd, he'd kept asking, can you show me my wife? Can you show me my wife? Yeah. And Mephistopheles kept refusing yeah. until the very end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we showed him and uh, that moment was absolutely ruined my soul. As a spectator, if I went and watched that, I would be a mess. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember that. And then I, I remember the feeling after, like, as Mephistopheles, after being the the that wife for that moment, I was like, I felt dirty. I was like, oh, I feel dirty, but at the same time, love me, but hate me, but love me. <laughs> <laughs> and the struggles that interest in part, it's the struggle that make things like that in those moments, the interest in part. So do the two of you have any particular... First night rituals, opening night, things that you do. Or even pre-show. Or even pre-show, Is that pre-show like, rituals. Anything special for an opening night or just every night before you go on? Is what there do you a certain... do before you perform? I like saying all my lines out loud. The whole play? The, I like saying all my... I always go and stand at the back. Up by the, the hot cook room where we use as our dressing room, up beyond that yes. the bathhouses. I always go and stand there and I've got like... At drama school, I remember for articulation exercises, we used to get a cork and shove the cork in my mouth <laughs> to shut me up, probably. And um, yes, that's not a real thing. <laughs> Put this cork in your mouth. Keep it there. Trust, trust me. <laughs> it works. <laughs> so, so, like, I remember I would put the cork in my mouth, and uh, I have to do articulation articulation exercises. <laughs> you haven't done them I've today. I've not done them today. No. <laughs> um, so, so I've got 
basically it's like the back of a makeup brush that broke off. I've got two two different sizes. I've seen this. You've seen it. <laughs> and I put it in my mouth and I see the whole, I tend to see all my lines in order. With, with, with the hairbrush with the, in your mouth. With the back of the makeup brush. It's just like a stick and they're different thicknesses. And I put that in my, the tip between my teeth and I say all my lines in order out loud and then I feel in my mind whether it works or not that it's created more space in my mouth mm-hmm. and it's made my lips a bit more looser it just makes everything more mobile so I like doing that do you like to go through all your lines do you like to insert them before the show so that in a way you kind of they're out there yeah so there's not that kind of pressure of I'm going on to say them. Yeah. It's just like, I've already said them, I've so I know them. them, so they're grand. I know they're there. It's like a wee safety net. I know they're there, banked. See, that to me, I have a horror of that. I, when I'm in a play, I do my lines in the shower in the morning and then not again till I'm in the show. And that thing where people, because I do know a lot of actors, especially at Bard, who will run the whole script. And I, it's like... standing behind Susie's no, bush, no. running through their lines before I they pop it. on. It's like I have... This thing that I've got my script is always on my dressing table, yeah, but closed, and I never look at oh, it. Oh, you're mental. That's mental. <laughs> it's there, so I know it's there, but I don't look at it. I will never look at it, because I feel like if I look at it, I'm going to see something I've been getting wrong, and it'll throw me off. So it's there as kind of a talisman, but I never look at it. That's brave. <laughs> I'm not that brave. <laughs> I, have a, I have a fear of like second-guessing myself. And, and and putting doubt in my mind. Yes. Just to explain, once the script, and it takes a bit of getting in, but once it's in, in, in my head and in my body and in my mind, we've rehearsed it and it's open, I, I will be running lines in my head or whispering or mumbling them just about all day. Little bits will go into my head. I mean, people look at you funny in the street. <laughs> yeah, I, am the, I am that person that's I'm muttering away when I'm down the street and doing this and that. So I'm constantly, it's not fretting them or worrying them. It's just like, oh, Dennis, oh, that's that, that one, yeah. And chat, 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 and just to myself. And I can be chatting away, and the, but in the back of my mind, there'll still be a scene going on. Yeah. Or a bit of dialogue. But I, I do my I do my plosives and I, I try and get I try and get my lips and my tongue working and, you know, and all my R's, my, you know, I do, I, do, I do my little exercises that way. But text-wise, I stop looking at it. It's around about the hour. So about an hour so, before the show yeah, goes out. Yeah, I, I, I don't think about it, and I don't. I, I never ever run anything just before I go on. I'm the same. I I'm perceive same it way. as if, if I got a bit wrong there, it would panic me. Exactly. That's exactly my thing. And I'll sit and guess, and I'll doubt. Yeah. If I, because I have done it where I've run stuff just before, and exactly that has happened that I've got it wrong standing backstage, and that has put doubt in my head and I've stepped on stage worrying whereas if I run it in the shower in the morning I know that it's still there I still know it I don't need to look at it again it'll come it's the same sort of principle to me it's like um, oh, where did I put my wallet where's my wallet where, where, where is that right step away forget about it for a bit oh oh, I remember where I put it yeah it's the same principle because you've left it alone and you're not nagging yourself. It's about, about where it lives in your brain, I think, is it? Probably, funny. probably neurologically, it's, it's something about where it's sitting. Well, in the thing brain. about lines as well, isn't it? Now I'm stating slightly the obvious, you know, it, it's about they're floating about in your head and you do know them and you've been doing the work, but they're still floating about in your head. And it's when you, you just get that point where it goes, oh, they're in my gut, I know them. I actually know this. I can live this. I don't have to be constantly zzz. You know? so that was something that kind of I think it was Rob was talking about last week was how difficult it can be if 
you because our outdoor shows they've normally got two preview performances mm -hmm. where we learn how the show works in front of an audience uh and then a kind of opening weekend opening night and another performance so we kind of generally get four performances in the opening weekend and then if you can get all of those performances in it feels like the show has settled a little yeah, bit sure. in your brains how do you make sure you've got the energy through the rest of that period when you've been rehearsing something else all day and you're about to gear up to play Mephistopheles or Menenius or, or anything at all and you're exhausted. How do you, what do you do to get ready to get on for that show that evening? I think you just kind of have to. Well, this is true. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you, you just kind of have, like, for me, I'm like, well, it's happening. So you just kind of have to. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, so I, I might have like a 10 minute snooze or a 20 minute snooze before um, and that's why I also like to say my lines before because I've been doing other lines during the day it brings the other the other text to the forefront of my mind and I know it's in my mouth <laughs> I know that's really like if I've done one one show just then I, I would have to go back to my my lines for the piece I'm about to do do you know what I mean definitely but I'm I'm you'll have said I'm like an old turtle I'll just <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sit and my eyes will be closed for a bit and I'll just, just conserving there. the energy just consenting recharging the batteries I'm quite good at having a little battery recharge there's also that thing I always I always think about Alan Steele you know oh chaotic like a bag of ferrets going through life <laughs> doing this thing. yeah no I mean oh what's, what's he moaning about now what's he doing oh, oh shut up you know that's kind of me in life you know <laughs> on a good day um, <laughs> But but generally speaking, everything really is focused towards that show that I'll be doing in the evening. And then Alan Steele with all these little foibles can just go to one side for a bit. And now we're Gloucester or we're, you know, we're whoever we are. There's also there's a funny wee thing that I was thinking about. Because when I, I think the first thing I ever did for you was Gloucester, wasn't it? Yes, Gloucester in Canada. And Bard, yeah, yeah. And I remember it was such a new experience. It was so different. And I was so in awe of what everyone was doing. And I was getting used to being outside and da-da-da-da-da, you know. And and there's a thing that I have. When you're doing something that's very, very deeply emotional or comes from a very emotional place or the character's in a, a, a state of extreme, you know, of extremity. Yes. As which, Gloucester is. Yes. Which everyone in King Lear is. Right, everyone in King Lear. a highly wrought play, that Nobody one. Nobody has a good day. No. <laughs> But, you know, Gloucester's is particularly bad. He's had a bad day. He's, yeah. he's, had, his yeah, eyes. Yeah, he's, he's had his eyes gouged out. Yeah. And he's left to basically find it, blindly wander his way towards Dover, you know. <laughs> and you have that whole thing about you're coming out and you're, you've been blanketed. And this whole speech about as, as flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill yeah. us for their sport. That's one of the lines. So, you know, it's dark, dark stuff. It reminds me of Beckett. Like, yes, it's it's oh. that bleak and yeah. slightly absurd all at once. Absurd, almost like a blind clown, you know, yeah. and, the, and the bloody bandages and all that. And and the, 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 this this is just about technique, I suppose. And people all have different different things that they do. But I have all the feeling, and I and I keep it in my stomach, and I kind of suppress it. I keep it down there so that I'm not coming out roaring and greeting and wailing. But the emotion and the feeling and the state that I've got myself into is there. It's just there, like a like a rock in a rock yeah. in my stomach, or, or 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 something that just releases. Because to me, how do people behave? If people's if somebody's really upset, they're trying not to cry. They're trying not to get upset. They're trying to reason their way through it. Mm. They're not trying to be upset. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or traumatized. They're trying not to be. But I, I remember it was so interesting because I would do that little bit with Kirk. He was playing my son, 
and he would leave me off. And, and after I'd done the scene, because I was holding everything and letting the emotion bleed through, and as Salmon Cut must have thought I was a complete nutter, or at least very <laughs> because I would get off, and because I've been holding it on, I would burst into tears. Oh my goodness. It, it sounds much more so woo than it is. Yeah. It's, it, it's just basically because I've been holding on to the emotion. That then it needed a release. When I got, I had to let it go. And it, it would just mean I would kind of, I'd, I'd have a little cry. You know what I mean? It's, it, but it's just like, it's just those little mad things that you do just to, to take you where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Or, or to not allow yourself to go too far. See, yeah. this, is, this is why I love actors. It's just knowing what is asked of you guys and what Shakespeare particularly asks of you guys. It's it asks you to go is. everywhere. And, and Steph, you, you've experienced one of the things that can be especially difficult in Shakespeare, which is for his female characters, because <clears> they <throat> appear on stage less, they, are, they tend to drive the plot less, unless it's something like Rosalind. Yeah. But there, there are these huge emotional leaps. I'm thinking about something like Ophelia, yeah. where the gaps in her story are not filled in, but suddenly you've got to get to that emotional pitch, or I've been off stage for half an hour, and then you're back on having been driven mad with grief. Well, I couldn't. Well, I don't know if you remember, but I couldn't really speak. I couldn't. I didn't really speak to anybody. Remember backstage? No, I do remember because I was with you. Uh huh. Um, getting into the gravedigger stuff. Yeah, yeah. I oh, didn't yeah. really speak to anybody. Um, and even when I had to go back and get changed for funeral, the the, the funeral, but the the Ophelia's madness, madness mm-hmm. with them. When you grief. had the jam, the, the pajamas on and um, the flowers. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really like speaking to anybody, and I always had uh, music in my ears. I'd have one off. I'd always know where. Like I'd be like, right, that person's just came through the door, right? So I know that I'm going to come up soon. Like, but I'd have to keep music in my ear the whole time because, and it was usually Buffy. Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Not if nothing lie. else, we've got a good glimpse into Stephanie yes, McGregor's yes. popular culture taste. She's a wee bit the goth. Uh, it, uh, yeah. it, was, it was usually Buffy, Braveheart, all that kind of stuff. Interstellar. From Love yeah. Interstellar. Um, so it was all, because c- I was literally like, if I come out of this, it's going to be so hard. Because I was off for like 15 minutes at a time, then 20 minutes at a time. And then I would be coming off to come back on. So then when I went off to come back on in one scene, I was just, I'd, and we all had to get ready beside people before we came on. I'd still have to keep my head down and not speak to anybody. Because if I did, I'd just lose it. Can I ask something? Yeah. Was the scene before you came on from for one of my better phrase mad yeah what, was the scene that you were directly on before that was that the play within a play was that the last time you were seen before you came on yeah, it was, yeah. So, so it's a massive leap it's yeah so huge. so Ophelia is last seen attending the play within a play where Hamlet is horrible to her mm-hmm. which, uh, which happens in most scenes where Hamlet and Ophelia <laughs> being together so that was just before our interval so then you have everything that happened after that Hamlet kills Polonius uh, the whole scene with his mother being sent to England absolutely all of that the interval and all of that with poor Steph being everyone else is on the stage you were being killed coming back as a ghost everyone's having these massive journeys on stage and then and Steph sat in the dressing room just having to be ready to come back on yeah having having not had the experience the character is not given the experience of learning about her father's death or all the stuff that drives or we believe drives Mm -hmm. Ophelia into this is it madness is it a deep grief is it a deep depression it's all of those things I think it's a plethora of those things yes Um, and many more so so basically I mean when you were in the scene of the play within the play the mousetrap Mm -hmm. you know yeah Hamlet's been 
But <laughs> you know, I'm very rude. Jeff, yeah, I'm very rude. But you're also alive. Yeah. There's there's a kind of dreadful thing, but but there's a normality. Your life hasn't been cast in the four winds. You know, mm. your father's still alive. Everything's still relatively fine. Hamlet's not been banished. No, so there's a massive stuff yeah. happens. But I also remember because obviously Alan was my papa, and um, I, I kind of jumped into that kind of as well. Like I was betrayed by you. You let mm. so I had to hold on to all that kind of thought process as well yes he your dad had used you to try and get to, to grips with what was going on what with was hamlet, with hamlet so and, felt betrayed by your dad yeah. betrayed by hamlet and this is all the stuff that <clears throat> isolates amelia further and further and further and leads to her cracking but she never has the words no 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 but i also find that really interesting because as an actor you start to feel that in your everyday life within the cast so you started to feel not isolated. because not through being isolated, not like nobody, but you you do feel it because you're not in that day because you've not got much to rehearse. Mm. So you're like, all oh, right, okay, why do I feel weird? I feel weird. Everyone else has been going on and having ad- adventures and stories out of rehearsals, <clears> and you're like, I, I wasn't in. So you, I'm, yeah, I'm not part of that. So you kind of do start to feel that as well in real life, not through any. It's just the play. You're like, well, I'm not in today, so mm. so, so you start to feel that in real life, which is really strange. And then sometimes, like, I felt myself feeling weird around people. Because I was like, I don't know how to be. Like, it was really... <laughs> it was so strange. Oh, the, things, so the strange. things we do yeah. to you all. The things yeah. that we do to you. So, do either of you have a favourite performance or a character or a show that you could tell us about? Tell the listeners. Yeah, I loved it playing Menenius and I love the journey that went on in Coriolanus you know and, and the fact that he's betrayed and the whole bit because as we know the, the subtitle is The Fall of Menenius yes Coriolanus or The Fall of or Menenius or The Fall of Menenius <laughs> and things like Gloucester and the, the drama of all that and the you know the intensity and the places that you go to loved doing Hamlet I loved uh, being in Hamlet I love the play it's, my, it's probably my favourite play of all time actually me too. Yeah, me too. I just think it has everything. For me, it does. You know, I think people like different plays for different reasons. I just, I just, I fall in love with Hamlet. <laughs> I just do. But I enjoyed being in that production because I just got to play so many different things, and the, the their journeys were all so vivid. You you four different roles until you played the the ghost of Hamlet's father. That's right. Then Polonius, you played the the chief player, the player king, mm-hmm. uh, and the grave digger as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with with the the, the grave digger, the grave digger was a a nice vignette. I like the grave digger. He was a he was a wee guy that came on and ate a Twix and <laughs> you know I did. And, and and also we had we had lovely little talks about like it was the fact that that I in a funny sense I was always in some way Hamlet's father. Yes, all of these kind of she could figures. see him and Polonius. I think we talked about it. Or Nikki and I certainly had that. And even the grave digger, to me, it meant, this might just be to me, but we use whatever we have, don't we? Yeah. And and the, because Nikki's a very, she's very generous and she's very intuitive, and she 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 tunes into what you're doing. And I think we had that thing where it's like for a moment she looks at the grave digger and she sees her dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, definitely. And there was a beautiful moment with the player king as well, mm. with that which I I never seen a play like this before. Where you 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 finish the beautiful speech he has about Priam and Troy, yeah. the uh, and Hamlet. Had, because she could see her dad in the player and she'd kind of gone into herself and you just touched her hand and just remember Nikki just holding your hand mm-hmm. and kind of looking at her and she just Hamlet's dad was back again for a, a little, little moment a little echo of the scene 
with the ghost and Hamlet, yeah, which I had adored playing. It, it was that thing about like being all the dads, but also, you know, even with the player King, it's a moment in the play, but he was such a challenge to me. And I I know we've talked about how the speech was so sort of, um, I was like, this, is, this isn't like... No, it was of a, written in a certain style. Written in a certain style that didn't, it didn't have Shakespeare's wonderful poetry or, or his, or his rhythm or his, there was a broken quality to it. It doesn't mean it was bad. It was just, it was... It was that ever so slightly old-fashioned style for even within Shakespeare's time. It, That's right. It felt very similar to, actually, the writing of Marlowe, which you'll know from playing in Faustus. Mm-hmm. His lines are, they're harder to learn. Yes. They're, the imagery is all there. The grandeur is all there. But there's something mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. quite I just as human. Think they're, they're not structurally as perfect as Shakespeare's, yes. as, as most of Shakespeare's mm-hmm. writing is. And I think Shakespeare had written a, a kind of version of that kind of speech for the player king, you know, because it was an artifice within a play, yeah. you know. And, He's remembering and, a speech from an old play that he did. Absolutely. And once I realised that, then I went, ah, now I've got it. You know, I remember yeah. talking to you about it. It's not written, this isn't written as Shakespeare, you know, in inverted commas. This is yes, something this isn't else. Shakespeare writing his best speech. Yes. This is him writing in the style of theatre that was around a few years before Hamlet was written. Absolutely. So once I got my head around that, but but, but it, it was fantastic because, um, just to answer the initial question mm-hmm. without wibbling on, but it gave me the chance to play so many vivid and very different things, you know. Polonius. Polonius was Polonius. He was probably, and in to an extent, the most human and real character. I loved my dad. Yeah. I loved and there was a real love. Yeah. This goes back to what you were saying about watching Steph as Mephistopheles and Faustus. It, it was the humanity of all of them. Yes, the gravedigger might have only popped up for one scene. Yeah. The, the same with the player king, really. But each one was a fully crafted individual. Mm-hmm. They uh, we knew who they were as human beings. Even the ghost. I, mean, I remember you and I met for the first time several months before actually doing the play when I'd asked you to play these roles. Yeah. And the first thing almost you said to me was, the ghost has to be a real human being. It can't be this large, booming, with no disrespect to Brian Blessed, Brian Blessed-esque no, a uh, no. ghost. No. They are because you gotta love a bit of Brian Blessed, Absolutely. but they, uh, you didn't want that kind of. And, and I was like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted to say to you because both of us had found watching other productions of Hamlet, you, you stop, you didn't listen to the ghost mm. because everything was about the effect of the ghost rather than being. I always feel that the, the the bigger and the more distant you make the ghost, the less you care in a funny way. Or I felt that you know I've I've seen and, and it's perfectly great actors and, and good productions, but 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 where he's just been this, he might even have been miked or and there's a booming voice and there's a presence and there's dry ice and it's like and Hamlet is overwhelmed by that and so therefore what you're getting is Hamlet's take on what he's seeing or, or what's happening. Whereas for us, and especially in the context of playing in the gardens and, and, and the way that we that we all play, to me it was much more interesting. It's like we were a demon's not just a demon. No. And no. a ghost isn't just a ghost. The thing the thing for me about why 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 do un, unquiet spirits walk the earth, if you believe that? They they walk the earth because of, because they're in pain or because there's something that's not resolved. And and that to me was very much 
Look at the words, look at what he's saying. Horrible, horrible, most horrible. He's in agony, he's in torture, he's burning in hell. I mean, he, by coming from that place, it puts so much more pressure on Hamlet because it wasn't, we chose not to come at it from the angle of it is your duty as my descendant no. to revenge my death. It was, this is your dad asking you, I can't rest in peace until this is done. Mm. So of course then Hamlet's going, my dad needs me to do this. Absolutely. And that I makes think, it so much. That's something human. that came across really strongly in that production, the way you played that, is that I had a strong sense of why Hamlet cared so much about her dad mm -hmm. because you presented her dad as her dad, as just the bloke. Yeah. There's here was the ghost of the bloke that she had loved. And that was much more that was much more human than yeah, I've seen those kind of booming. I've probably even I think as a student, I directed one where we didn't have the ghost at all. We just had the whole cast speaking the voice, which was a great theatrical device. I think that sounds good, actually. Uh, and, you know, I, in another production, I might do that again. But I do think what worked beautifully in that in last summer's production was that very human presentation of Hamlet's father. And what we got in that was a little insight into what their relationship had been like, which I think you're absolutely right, made us care. Why did yeah. we care? Why should That's we why care? We, we chose to cut the references in the text to him wearing his armour. We were doing a modern dress production anyway, mm -hmm. so it makes sense. Nobody needs to know that he's wandering around with his beaver up. <laughs> because we don't know what his beaver is. It's, it's, it's helmet visor. But... You don't want to lose that. No. The, um, but we made the choice to remove him, up. remove him from that military man. Yes. We had the portrait, a huge portrait of you that on did stage that job, actually. in your full military regalia. Yeah. But that meant that we could allow the ghost to appear as Hamlet, old Hamlet, would have looked the moment when he died. Absolutely. Which was in his cardi. And not quite his slippers, yeah. um, because you'd have got soaking wet in your slippers. I thought there was a wee little touch of sort of Scandinoir about the the way he was dressed. You know, I think yeah. you know there was a kind of modernity. There was he he wasn't. It wasn't like an old granddad in slippers and up with a pipe, but he was very, very much an older man. And and I think the, the fact that you know, it was very clever with Karis, I know, I know we're all talking about costumes, but very clever with Karis because it's dusty. He had a slightly dusty look. Can I just point out, I designed You Hamlet. designed it, I beg your Not pardon. Not Karis Hobbs. Oh. She designed everything else. She loved it. I that with the, my wonderful That's associate true. designer, Heather Curry. Of course, I do beg yeah. your pardon. Yes, no, 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 it's fine. Right. But it was lovely to do. Anyway, I'll shut up now, but, but what, what I enjoyed about the Hamlet was you'd, you'd be the sharply dressed Polonius interfering and being a little bureaucrat or whatever and among other things a father and yeah, a dad loving his children loving his there children was, there was such a beautiful relationship between Polonius Ophelia and Laertes which oh, again I love my kids why... yeah I like this I like that we scene when Polonius was uh, and uh, Laertes were Laertes to... were, were being like no no just be be careful don't I'm not sure mm -hmm. and I'm like oh okay yep and I felt like I was the one that was more mature than them two within yes. that whole situation <laughs> yeah. I'm like okay yep I know I'm that dynamic you probably would have yeah been, actually you know. I know more than you think okay cool yep that's but fine just a final word on the Hamlet for me you know and talking about the favourite things that you've played because we must talk about all of them more text at some point. But it's three lines. <laughs> it's three lines. But the thing that, that one of the moments that I really loved was the, the fishmonger scene, as I call it, where Hamlet's basically went for Polonius. You know, I mean, he's he's yes, playing with him and all these she's played jokes with him and, and, with him. Uh -huh. and and Polonius doesn't quite get it. And then the way Nikki played it, she really went in my face with my life, except my life, my life, my life. And Polonius walks on fairly humiliated and not quite knowing what to do, you know. Yeah. And then to come on 
as the player king and a camel coat and a hat and be glamorous <laughs> and also be another father figure. That's the kind of thing about playing those kind of multiple diverse parts that is a lot of fun. And and it's 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 like little pocket journeys and little pocket insights into people's characters. I I, I really like that. I enjoy it. I'm I'm I like being a bit of a Lon Chaney. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> what about you, Steph? Well, I liked Mephistopheles. It was good. Because <laughs> I, no, 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 my brain's like, I can't remember all that detail. Um, no, I that was my fave. I think because I had never done anything like that before, and I also believe that it's because the text that I was given was so much more juicier than any female really that that gets to be done in Shakespeare. Really, not like obviously. Yeah. But this, so no, I think you're right. It There's was, because. Mephistopheles is absolutely the activator. Mephistopheles is making everything happen. Yeah. And you'd come off at the back of kind of a run of roles, because you are a beautiful young lady, of playing (laughs) these kind of young ingenue leads, kicking off with Juliet. It's a great role. But Juliet, then Jessica, the Merchant of Venice, the Princess of France and Love's Ever's Lost, all these kind of... That, young women that and things then to happen go from too yeah but then Mephistopheles makes shit happen oh, it was great I felt so powerful and it was a, it was again no, another one of those shows where you're like excuse my French fuck it because <laughs> I'm like I'm dressed as a demon cool a demon a demon cool yeah oh, there's an angel over there yep hi guys and like you just had to go for it and I love epic theatre like I love the gods and hell and the devil and I love Absolutely. filth and dirtiness and monkeyness I love it all and it was all in it and like you were saying about Christopher Marlowe like his writing is so much harder to learn than Shakespeare yeah and yeah. actually listening to the podcast uh, what Rob was saying last week about how he learns lines and stuff me trying to learn dr faustus lines so i i figured out that if i learn lines in a certain room and at a certain eye line i only know them that way if i learn my lines looking left and then go and look to the right they're gone <laughs> right swear <laughs> to god so with dr faustus i had to crawl on my hands and knees did this i swear swear down i did it i crawled on my hands and knees around the house around the kitchen around the hallway around the living room <laughs> crawled on my hands and knees saying them out loud. Then I would go the opposite way around the house, right? Then I lay down on the floor and looked at the roof because it was a different eye line. And then, then I'd see, I'd, I'd, I'd have to learn it going backwards. So I'd walk backwards around the house. <laughs> I honestly did this. And then, <laughs> obviously, because uh, Rob was going on about the different colours, I started doing right. I'm not going to learn this. I'm going to have to do it with different colours. So I did the highlighted different colours. So then when I was doing it, the colour would pop into my brain and then I would know the lines. But I had to learn it in different rooms, different heights, different levels, looking up, looking down, looking to the left, looking to the right, so that I didn't catch myself off guard and look a different way and go, oh no, it's not over there, I can't see my lines now. <laughs> like it was, I had, it was ridiculous. I lay underneath the dining room table, <laughs> not even going live. Whatever it takes. Because I couldn't get... Makes my the... button look normal. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get his lines. They are, they are in my head. Difficult. It was like I had to knock them, uh-huh. like physically knock them into my body. There are, there are scenes like that. That that's exactly what I meant about the Holofernes uh-huh. and the Player King. I had I you couldn't just go. Oh, it's Shakespeare. It goes. It goes in. It goes in. No, you need to knock them in. Yeah, with the, yeah. yeah, and then like 
the reason I loved it so much is because I got to be like strong and I got to be sexual. I'm not one to use my body uh, to get what I want, but uh, I did in that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it, it was an immense show. It was it? the most fun. Because there were only three of yeah. you in it. And it felt so like... there was Adam Donaldson playing Faustus, Ryan Ferry playing the good angel, mm-hmm. and yourself as Mephistopheles. But the whole story of Marlowe's Faustus was in there. The yep. 20-year time span, the Traveling journey all around the, the world. world. Mm-hmm. Going uh, to visit the Pope. <laughs> but the seven, the sins, the seven, seven deadly sins. sins. Yeah. Like we were doing the visits of Lucifer. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, that was amazing. The way Did he the connected Helen of Troy that. Appear at one point. She does. She does. <laughs> Helen of Troy does appear. I don't know if you can explain the way you did. So the for Luc- the voice of Lucifer, what we had was the Mephistopheles and the good angel would be kind of possessed by the spirit of Lucifer. So we had a recording of Lucifer's voice that we'd mucked around with, and then Ryan and Steph would act being possessed by Lucifer and speaking that along with it and we played these and it was very kind of we used a lot of sound in that show and there was big booming noises when Lucifer would appear so even though in the kibble where we don't have lighting so you can't do and we don't have smoke machines and you can't so you you can't go you can't go oh it's all gone red and smoky here's the devil we just had this booming noise and the two of you acting suddenly possessed by Lucifer and it was pretty terrifying to watch you just had to the reason why it was so exciting is everything you just had to go 110 percent yeah you had to be you had to commit you had to, to commit and be actually okay with something failing to start with in rehearsals you had to be like well that didn't work and you'd be totally fine with it mm-hmm. which was okay we're gonna have to <clears throat> convince people that we've got magic yeah but we have no <laughs> there's no, magic. no mechanisms to we create have, magic other than ourselves and our voices so we'd point at each other and go <laughs> 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 and Adam would have the clutches chest and be like oh writhing in agony um, but like when Lucifer would take over me and Ryan in my like it was great because it would like he would go right through the middle of our body and out of our mouth so we'd be standing up straight kind of almost screaming like something out of the exercise yeah it really like, was. Uh-huh. All those things, you just, it was so good. And it felt like my body was doing something that it had wanted to do in so long, something just so big and huge and visceral. And visceral, yeah, like from your gut. It also had that feeling to me there was something, the, the way it was, the way you all were, like Ryan was all in gold and white, wasn't he? he was sort of, yeah, he was and beautiful. You, you were, you know, dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there was something like being part of a ritual about it while yes. you were watching it. Yeah. Very ritualistic. Well, I think we, we touched on this a little bit in last week's podcast when we talked about conjuring the devil because that's absolutely what we were doing <laughs> and oh. stuff would happen. Like when we, whenever we were doing the bit where and all that bloody Latin that you all had to learn. Doing drawing like we're actually oh, drawing pentagram. a pentagram mm. and doing this Latin spell and the weather would start to change and it would get colder. <laughs> I would freak out. I remember when he would do it the first time and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, we're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> what if it really works? What if he comes up? Because <laughs> you watch too much Buffy. I know it's so true. <laughs> um, but like I genuinely 
would you'd feel that and also it was a, a test for my voice because we'd all had to do loads of different things with our voices so like making sounds like breathing in and making a sound like uh, like those kind oh, of yeah. oh yes that was how the, the, the spirits kind of overtook you each time yeah. was with a massive intake of breath with, with sound so like making sure that that was done safe and kind of going back to your drama school days being like right what would my voice teacher get me in trouble for doing <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know how you felt about it, Jane. I mean, I loved that show. I loved, I am just fascinated by that story. And I'm very proud that we managed to create something that I felt was incredibly atmospheric with just three actors and no special effects, just sound and you guys making people believe that, you know, you could torture Faustus in agony, standing 12 feet away and just moving your hand towards him. And the audience were with you and believing that that was happening. And also at the end, believing that he was being dragged off to hell and yeah. it was horrifying it was when amazing. you were just walking around the corner of the yeah. Kibble Palace because yeah. <laughs> like I don't even know what it was like I think there were, we, we kind of just blocked a moment where I think I remember I seen it opening yes. and I remember the 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 the, the, like the the torment of oh crap I need to do it now I need to take him oh crap okay and then just going ah, and then just trying to pull him but seeing it, seeing the like, of so I, always, I had to go through my face to the audience to be able to see I it. I always remember the moment where, not long before, when I think when the good angel was still trying to get Faustus to repent, if he could just get him to repent, he could see his soul. And the whole the, in the text they talk about, you know, look at this image of the entire heavens opening up to you, and the whole audience would look at where I am pointing. <laughs> it was just the fish pond. It's so cute. But but you were so. We believed the world. We believed in this epic battle between good and evil. And it comes down to the fact that you guys made it matter. This fight yeah. for this one man's soul mattered. And the, and the other exciting thing was in that room, in that rehearsal room and on that stage, I was working with another two actors who were so wonderfully listening. Like it was yeah. so exciting to just be like, they are hearing me and I am hearing them and whatever they do, I'm going to go with it. And it was like the most fun and like, but we had to do things in rehearsals where like there was this bit where me and Adam remember in rehearsals Jen was like let's see what'll happen if they kiss from one side of the room to the other <laughs> did, we, did we end up with that in the show? No because no. you were like that's getting too sexual <laughs> <laughs> I think it, Was that not the moment that they ended up being uh, We did kiss Adam Adam would just lie down in Steph's lap oh, while yeah. Ryan sang oh, Abide With Me. It became yeah. a much more became much intimate more tender moment. moment. Yeah. Tender. It was great being in a rehearsal room where you got to take stuff to that far yeah. and then be like, no, that doesn't work. Let's try something else. It was just, yeah. it was so that good. That show definitely worked because the three of you were just an amazing team and you had each other's backs even when perhaps maybe actors skipped bits that were essential <laughs> to the plot. As I believe happened once in performance. It was... The f- what bit was it? It, it was, was right, right at the, the beginning. It was, right so it was the like establishing. Was it not establishing your characters? Me, who, yeah. Who you and Ryan were, yeah. And Adam just leapt forward like half a page, and two then, pages. Yeah. yeah, and then we were like, me and Ryan were looking like trying to like mind read each other from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're really demons now, right? So we can actually hear each other's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like trying to look at each other and be like. 
because we've not been introduced. We need to be introduced. <laughs> and people will be like, who are these random people on stage? <laughs> and then bless Adam. He, because I think he, he was thinking something else and then realised, oh, I better go back and introduce these people. So he managed to kind of do it all and we managed to pick Contest. it all up. Oh. oh, but it was so funny. The fear, the fear that you just like try not to show, but feel. <laughs> Especially me and Ryan just like looking at my eyes are like wide right now, just so you guys. No, I'm literally looking at each other trying to figure out what to do. But but apart from that, it was great. Yeah, it was amazing. It was my most fun. So you were talking a bit about um your dominatrix look for Mephistopheles. Yes. And Alan, you mentioned your lovely dusty cardigan. Just because we've, we've been talking to Karis, obviously, and Sam and Suze, how important are things like costumes, props, set to you in performance? Amazingly important. Like, utterly important. Mm-hmm. Purely because it creates your world. You know, when you're a kid and you're playing houses, you have your kitchen and you have your little penny or whatever, like it creates that world. So, you know, you need your set and you need that world to be placed inside of it because it creates something else, doesn't it? It brings something else for you to play with and for you to respond in. I think so too. I mean, one of the reasons that I'm in this business at all is I'm a big kid and I love Mm -hmm. playing. Oh, we all are. I love playing. I I was the kid that was building little cardboard towns in my my, my room and toy theatres and puppets and, you know, the the world of the imagination. I think it's very, It's not just important for kids, it's important for everyone, especially in times like these. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm a funny one because I kind of hate the word costume. It's weird. They're my clothes. Yeah. And yeah. I want them to be my clothes and I want ownership over them. And sometimes I can be such a wane because I get something I go, it's not right and that's not what I thought and it's not because I don't own it yet. You have to, I have to learn it. You have own to it. learn it's how not, to It's not a great trait in me, I admit that. It's because I care and because I get so invested in what we're doing and what we do in rehearsals and stuff and, you know, that, that sometimes if something comes late to me, I go, it's not, I, I don't get it, I don't get it. But on the other hand, you know, because the team is just wonderful. They're absolutely sublime. Oh. Um, it does utterly contextualise everything that we've been doing. I love rehearsals. I also love that moment where I go, I am that guy. Mm -hmm. This is the place. There's my daughter looking at me because I want to pick up what you said. That communion that happens, that communion between yourself and another actor. You know, when I would look into your face and I would see how I was hurting you or or, or how much you love, or or, or if it happens with Nikki or whoever, that to me is the absolute kernel of it. That playing with another person. It's why sometimes you have to go, Alan, you can't even be looking at her too long. You need to get... And I've also, I've also been very... Well, oh, you still there? I'm, I'm with my daughter here. I, I, I've always been one of these people as well. Like, you're not the only one, but somebody says to me, you don't always have to be touching the other act at all. <laughs> Heaven knows how that will go in the future. But I, I'm always, I've always been like, oh, I'm taking your face because I want to talk to your face. Yeah. You know, I want to hold you. Or I mean, can I just stop you there? Can I, I love that, you know, and there's different ways of doing it. And I, th- I think it's a nice, a good thing too that you want to... The Make best thing for me is communing communing and not just with the words the words can take you there and and, and a gesture can take you into the words or the phrase I really enjoy that and so mm-hmm. that that whole kind of the reality of that can be supported by if the visuals all match up together oh, oh I, I mean I mean look at uh, look at the merchant event yeah, you know, I felt wonderful. I'm sitting there, you know. I, I'm not, I'm not what you would call an elegant man, but I'm sitting there. And oh, I've got definitely not. Beautiful suit are. on. It's all. What was it? Was it the thirties? Nineteen thirties. Nineteen thirties. I've got my cigarette. I've got like 
prostitutes, male and female, <laughs> yes, <laughs> draped over me. Yes, you know, how very, how very Berlin in the nineteen thirties it all was. With my little Lawrence Olivier moustache and my 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 slip back hair, I just felt wonderful, <laughs> you know. But set costume, everything, and and but the people around you are just. Remember Chloe Anne came on. She forgot to put her shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Merchant of Venice. Wonderful young actress, Chloe Ann Taylor. She's stunning. She was playing both Marissa and Solanio. And Solanio and Solario were were these kind of, like the Kit Kat Club kind of uh, performers. And Chloe Ann had a lot of very quick changes from Nerissa's dress (laughs) to Solanio's costume. It was essentially a kind of a leotard and little hot pants. But she'd forgotten to underdress the hot pants one night. We're backstage to do the quick change, took Nerissa's dress off and went, Just the leotard. I'm no shorts. Oh, she's got no shorts. She's just in her undies. Just her back on. And, she, and do you know what? Saying, I was, well, I was watching that night, though, though, and she just brazened it out. She yeah. just, like, you would have thought that was totally meant because she just. She and, black and pants I was looking, on anyway. I, I was black looking at yeah, and, and, like, yes. fishnet tights. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking going, I'm pretty sure she's supposed to be wearing shorts. <laughs> but, but she just, you, like. Dialed in. She just styled it out. She's like, out. this is what my character is wearing right now. <laughs> a leotard and tights, that's it. She would, she would, she would yeah. style it out. I would say, though, that I didn't find Oliver Martex really until we got the rainbow jumper. Well, the, I, I was literally going to bring this up. Finally, Sir Oliver Martex gets a look at. So <laughs> this, this is very important. This is the country vicar who turns up for one short scene Two in Azulika, <laughs> uh, which in the original... Touchstone is going to marry Audrey, this goatherd from the country, and this in our version was Touchstone and Andre. Uh, so a same sex couple. Long ago here. And I had asked for a costume. I I'd asked a, for a costume design for Sir Oliver Martex on Tweedy Country Vicar, and so we knew that we were trying to play the scene. And yeah, because he only had two lines and some reactions, we couldn't make that into any kind of character. He was he was just there. He wasn't. There was nothing to do with him. And it, yeah, we had we eventually worked out that he needed to be this kind of overly enthusiastic vicar who was really down with the game. Really <laughs> down with the game. <laughs> he just wanted to show how okay he was with this same-sex marriage. Absolutely. And so God bless the wardrobe team. They found him this fantastic knitted rainbow jumper. It was perfect. They are uh, With his little dog collar and everything. Little but suddenly collar. we did know who he was. Absolutely. And just so and so happy to be there. Oh. <laughs> they thought it was wonderful. Wonderful. But, 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 you know, with those little things, it can be quite difficult because I mean you and I were talking about it and it's like oh god you know does he come on in a helicopter a bike what, what happens yes how, you know? how, how <laughs> so do we take this character and just do something up? yeah and he, he trundled on in a bike and he was just endlessly enthusiastic and happy he was you know what I mean and and that's just a little key in just to make something work you know, mm-hmm. and make it funny, you know? Yes, because when that was it, we realised his only purpose really was to amuse. Yes, yes. You yeah, know, yeah. and he was a cameo, we had to make it funny. So that's where cost, costume and having a bike and coming on into this lovely set covered in flowers, it's like, oh, it's just so easy just to, yeah. you know. Because you're just stepping in the world. you step into the world. The other thing that I feel actually very lucky about is, like, Karis is so good at dressing your body type. Because she, you guys have all being Karis has designed for us for over 10 years yeah. and, and you know she's designed for kind of almost every show that you've been in apart from the one that I designed <laughs> which I forgot <laughs> but she she's so like she's so good at uh, going right 
what does your body need? And then just doing it. And then like, you know, because I get insecure, as I think every human does. And she's so good at going, okay, okay, what is it? And I'll go, well, my pants and this bit's a bit tight. And she's like, cool, we'll just take that out. We'll do this and we'll do that. And that's okay. And I'm like, I love you so much. Um, <laughs> She's so, she's just, I feel very lucky to have that. And especially like, even the sets, they're gloriously simple, but they create a total world yeah. that you want to be in and make sense to you once you're like, oh my God, I see it. It makes sense. And then you step in it and you're looking at all these gorgeous flowers and you're like, because when we, when I see, I remember that when that was last year, I was seeing it, I was like, this is actually beautiful and makes Stunning. complete like sense. Stunning. Yeah. And suddenly you go, oh, I want to live in Arden. Yeah. Oh, so, I know why yeah. these people want to live here now. Oh, I mean, I, I think I was on and off quite a bit, particularly in the second half of As You Like It, but when I came on with Nick For the as final Jeffries, scene, yeah. And and Stephen's there, and we're waiting. It's just like, I don't need to do anything. I'm here. This is amazing. And let's just not go into when you came out in the, the, the little denim jacket and the bride's dress. Oh, yeah. I love that outfit. You, yet again, you were playing Steph's dad. I didn't have to do it. I was just broken every night. <laughs> you would actually get really like, oh. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not like, oh. Look at me greeting. I'm so moved by myself. It's just, <laughs> it's just like one of the main things for that character. One of the dukes, the deposed duke, the exiled duke, was that he was he had ever, he's lost his wife and he's, he'd had to leave his home and he's lost his daughter. So when she appeared, it should be a joyous yeah f- for that character and for you know for everyone else. It's just beautiful. But that that set and the way people were dressed and, and the fairy lights coming on, everything, and all of it, and 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 as we were talking about earlier, the sun going down and yeah. <laughs> well, listen, thank you both so much. I it's it's been wonderful to talk to you guys about performances and I hope it will not be very long until we are all back performing in the gardens again they, uh, and generating more stories to tell so Steph and Alan thank you both very much thank indeed thank you guys thank you this is a difficult time for theatres and theatre companies around the world and Barton the Botanics is no exception We are working incredibly hard to ensure that we will be returning in 2021 for the company's 20th anniversary season. But if you'd like to support us and help us make sure that we can be there, please visit our website at www.bardinthebotanics.co.uk and donate to our crowdfunder fundraising campaign that will ensure the survival of Barden the Botanics for years to come. You can also find us on social media, So have a look for us there. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you've enjoyed our Page Stage series that's been taking us through the process of putting on shows at Barton Botanics. Uh, We're now going to take a few weeks break from the podcast, but we'll be back in the autumn with lots more new episodes and lots more new content for you to enjoy. So please keep an eye out for those landing on all your usual podcast platforms. Lend Us Your Ears is a Bard in the Botanics production. It is produced by Gordon Barr and Jennifer Dick, and it is edited by Jennifer Dick. Our logo is by Jonathan McEnroe.
we would have like changes of sets and like we'd take one one big not basket but I don't even know what the big floral arrangements big, yeah. we, we have spoken on the podcast of, of more one, and then change before. it and there would be these songs and then I still you did it as soon as I came in <laughs> Alan in rehearsals one time would stand <laughs> stand behind the floor the front oh say it for his garden the, uh, the floral arrangement <laughs> there, but, uh, going up and just pretend like he was uh, he'd raise his <laughs> arms like he was Jesus, Jesus. Gordon did. Let's just contextualize. <laughs> we were singing a song I particularly liked, and I thought, "I'm the Lord of the Forest. <laughs> I will bring the spring." And this beautiful flower arrangement would be pulled up into the into the heavens, if you like. And as it, we were singing a Mumford and Sons songs, Winter Winds, and as I went up, I would be centre stage raising my arms with it in a very Jesus Christ superstar style, yes. yeah. to be honest. And, and Gordon did have to say, Alan, it's a little bit Jesus. <laughs> you you are that. not actually in charge of me. <laughs> You're not Oberon. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just taking with a moment, you know. Really? It's my share That's, moment. Yeah, said, you were just trying a thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like but That's... even like, when you started joking at, like, when, in rehearsals and you would like pretend that it was going up <laughs> and be like... Yeah, we had this this lovely thing we had to, I can't sing it just now, but we had to go, yeah, and the wind, and I would would just turn it to me, just raise my arms in front of Steph to make her laugh, going, eh. (laughs) (laughs) Because the rhythm was so beautiful, and you just hear, eh. It's just a little thing I would do to make Steph laugh. Absolutely. Why not? I bloody love I know my audience. (laughs) 